What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. So welcome back to the Trackster Track Talk Trackster Talk podcast. Uh, we're having a rebrand there, so we're changing it from the Running Pod to Trackster Talk. Let us know what you think, because I'm not sure. I just was fed up of calling it the Running Pod because it doesn't really quite do it for me. Like it's just a boring name, very generic. So I thought, yeah, why not change it to Track Trackster Talk because it's kind of like Track Talk, but Trackster Talk. Um, Sort of a play on words, I guess. Uh, and also, hopefully you've noticed, new microphone. So the reason I haven't recorded podcasts recently was because my microphone broke. And I just didn't want to record podcasts and the audio would be pretty terrible. But now we have, hopefully, what sounds like a very good microphone. I have tested it a few times and I do really like it. So yeah, let us know your feedback on that as well. And now we're going to start recording a lot more podcasts with a lot more guests said that thousands of times and I've said that I've said that thousands of times it's like a never-ending circle I mean serious now uh, we're going all in hopefully weekly podcasts maybe even two times a week covering races interviews with athletes well, that's, I think that's the main thing I want to get as many pros on as possible from the UK and the US specifically and then whenever I can get other athletes on as long as they can speak English I will get them on the podcast so if you have any requests again Instagram DMs are always open. I probably would say DM me on my personal uh, Alfie Manfort just purely because Traxter gets quite a lot of DM requests, so it's hard to go through them all. But we are back with a podcast, and today I'm not sure if you can tell as well. Before I get into this, I'm actually struggling to speak for whatever reason. Like I'm not nervous, but it feels like a bit nervy, like talking to a podcast, which is strange. I've been recording YouTube videos, and I've not had a single problem with that. So. Yeah, hopefully that's fine, and we're just going to start off today. Well, first of all, we're going to talk about the Doha Diamond League, because I think that's quite a significant event, what not really many people have been talking about yet, and there's some insane names in it. Then we're going to do a little bit of a reaction to the sound running, just the men's 5,000, because I wanted to talk about that. And then we're going to do some shoe stuff, so like just talk about running shoes for a bit and what's to come, because that's something I'm interested in. And then I'm just gonna just gonna go off the top of my head and just try and not freestyle, but just talk about some things of what first come to mind and see where it takes us. This is a podcast after all, so I don't have to worry about being like a specific time limit and stuff like that. So yeah, hopefully if you're on a run, this will keep you entertained for a bit, or at least just I don't know, because I don't want to say I'm that entertaining, but we'll see how it goes. So I'll do the sound running first because I just wanted to talk about the men's five thousand meters. And in particular, what Abdi Hamid Noor did and run a 44-year-old collegiate record. That is, if you think about that, 44 years. I don't know how many records have been around for longer than 44 years. I can't imagine it's many. Obviously, it was Henry Ronos. And the reason why it's such a hard record is because it's a very, very good record. Um, 44 years, and you've got Abdi Hamid Noor come and run it. And then you've got Nico 
what five seconds behind. I think Nico's now third all time because Cooper was four. Uh, Cooper was second collegiate all time with thirteen twelve, and I'm pretty sure Nico ran thirteen eleven. Correct me if I'm wrong there. So that's again Nico under the world standard and Conor Mance and quite a few others. So first of all, what Abdelhamidou is doing is insane, and he's I think he's now the fastest combined fifteen three k. 5k, 10k runner of all time in the NCAA that is and he's not stopped yet, I mean he's still got the rest of the track season to go, you're probably looking at at least one title if everything goes right, I know the NCAA is like impossible to predict but it's just insane, 44 years and we did a post about this on Trackster and some people were like, oh they're still super spikes, they're, the spikes that Nico and Abdi Hamid know are racing aren't Adidas's best spike because they don't like Adidas's best spike um, and I would say they're not super spikes, the ones they race in, because they've got a bit of super foam at the front, and then the rest of it's kind of like a very mundane flat shoe. Don't get me wrong, it's fast, but sort of how uh, old old shoes used to be fast, so like the Nike Elite, Nike Victory Elite, like before the bubble and Zoom Expo, when it just had a carbon plate, and it pushed you forward, that's what the kind of shoe is, and for a 5k, I don't know how I feel running in that. So they've they've done that without... I guess a mechanical advantage from super shoes, even though I don't really think there's that much on the track yet anyway. But I just want to put that out there because it's just insane. Like those spikes you can buy for like forty pounds or like what sixty dollars. Like that doesn't scream super spike to me. Um so I just want to put that out there because a lot of people always jump to the spikes to say it's the reason for success or the reason for incredibly fast times. And obviously Mike Smith and NAU their setup there is phenomenal anyway, so you can expect it, and also they've started doing a lot more threshold by the looks of things, which is, and double day threshold, which is just straight out of Jakob's book, and while we're on the subject of the 5000, obviously Jakob race as well, won in 1302, and in an, and in an, that's hard to say, and in an interview, he said how people are clearly starting to realise they just need to do more volume, he was basically saying people are starting to copy him, which is fine, because I've said this probably on the podcast before, I think what Jakob does is the best training in the world, like, I think if you've got East Africans who are genetically like a genetic advantage due to longer legs or being out like being born at altitude and genetics like that, if they train like Jakob precisely and scientifically, which is obviously hard to get the facilities there, I think they would be untouchable. But because Jakob has trained it since he was eight, that's why I think he's so good because he's literally trained perfectly, and I think that's the best training out there. But Jakob said that how everyone's starting to sort of realise that you need to do high volume. And stuff like that, which in a sense I agree with because I think a higher volume way of training is probably more of a guaranteed, not a guaranteed, but it's probably more of a confident way to improve someone. And obviously some people can't handle high mileage, but I think you've got to look at why can't they handle high mileage first and foremost because is it their shoes, is it their nutrition, is it the recovery, or is it just something genetic where they can't handle it? So there's different variations, but I do think high mileage, high volume with threshold intensity in hills and specific track work when we get closer is probably still the best training method out there and also with Jakob he was saying how he hasn't touched any track workouts yet so he can run 1302 whenever he wants which is pretty insane because he didn't look too uncomfortable and I know he did say that it was tougher than he wanted it to be but if you run 1302 without any track sessions you've got to think he's in at least 12 let's just say give him 10 seconds let's just give him 10 seconds, which is 12.52. As soon as he starts sharpening up, you're looking at maybe 
low 1240s, sub 1240, which is getting into world record territory. And I know he already has the European record, but that's just insane to think about that. He's just ran 1302 without any track training. Like Imagine anyone else in that race going to that, not doing any specific track work at all and expecting to run 1302. I think it's pretty much unheard of. So I just wanted to touch on that because that 5,000 was extremely exciting. And I also really like what Sam running are doing with their pay-per-view because I know a lot of people frown upon subscriptions and pay-per-view in running. And people always think that I don't like Flowtrack because of their subscription service. And I actually think pay-per-view and subscriptions is a really, really great way to earn money but also make it affordable for people to watch because you earn revenue, which covers the costs and then also gives yourself money, which you need to do to make it worthwhile. Athletes get more money because of prize money. It's sort of seen as more of a prestigious event because people are actually having to pay. And I know that sounds daft, but it's just shows that it's more professional, shows that it's a higher quality just by the fact you have to pay to watch it. And also what other sport don't you have to pay to watch live like i can't think of a single sport where you're not paying to watch it live and as long as they're putting the races up maybe a few days after or however long after so people can watch it who didn't pay i'm completely fine with that and i do think that's a great way to do it uh subscription model i'm a bit more torn on because like we see with flow track they kind of don't really provide value for money sometimes like some of the meets are awful the commentary is awful but you've also got that investment from a subscriber at the start of the month. So you sort of know which money you're getting. So I guess both of them have some merit. But I do want to see more of that from Sam Running. Oh, I guess they're doing it. I do want to see more of that from other people as well. Because I just think it's a great great way to earn some money. I would also like to see maybe a model where you sort of donate any amount. So someone can donate 10p or 10 cents and watch it. And someone could donate £10. And it's sort of like a donate if you want we're going to make it free but you sort of before you have to watch it you have to either donate so it's not free but you could donate anything from literally one one cents to however much you wanted and that could be a way to try it out as well but i guess that depends on people like generosity and not everyone is paying one cents to watch it but i feel like that'd be quite interesting to try maybe we could try that down the line but yeah just what sam running doing in general is really really exciting and to obviously put on a meet like that and then I'm annoyed because I didn't really prepare for this podcast very well to go about the other other races. But, I mean, you had Debut Stafford and Sinclair Johnson in the 1500, first and second. They're big names. And I'm pretty sure the 800 and the 1500s were pretty similar in terms of the high-quality fields and the 10,000s because Henrik was in the 10,000 and he didn't really finish anywhere. I think he had a bad race, like 2850-something. So the fact that they're putting on these amazing meets without being a high profile organization governing body i think that's really impressive and the fact that they're getting those those athletes down to compete as well just sort of shows that athletes want to compete in those sort of races and it doesn't necessarily have to be this crazy diamond league or this crazy world tour or the championships and we just get people to come down and run fast and get the times and also race while they're doing it like they were entertaining races it wasn't just time trials and time trials which i think is really exciting but onto the Doha Diamond League. I'm just going to go through all the Diamond League events for today and basically say which people you could be looking at to watch. And if you are listening to this after the Diamond League, I guess something quite entertaining would be for for you to listen to my predict- predictions because there's no point in me going through the list of Diamond League if you've watched it. Because if you listen to this podcast 12 hours late or 24 hours late, the Diamond League's already gone. But we're going to go with it anyway. 
So first of all, the men's pole vault. And he's pretty much got everyone in. Like you've got Lysek, you've got Walsh, you've got both Lavillanese, you've got Christopher Nilsson, and you've got Armand Duplantis. So basically the Olympic final, it's a very, very strong lineup. I think whenever you get Mondo at championship, you or a, a meet, you expect to see over six metres, and then who knows after that. So he's obviously the favourite, but it's just an interesting field with Nilsson, Lavillanese, and Lysek. Like, there's quite a lot of six-metre jumpers there, so it'll be interesting to see who sort of gets second and third, which I know it sounds bad because you sort of already give Mondo the win. Things can go wrong. I think he lost one last year to Kendricks in the rain at, in Gateshead. I might be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure he did. So it'll just be interesting to see how they perform. And it's sort of looking at like, it's already looking at what you expect to see at the World Championships. So I was excited to look at the triple jump and potentially see Rojas, but she's not she's not performing. So again, I always like to see world records and you can't really say that that's always going to happen because the, the world records for a reason. But I'd kind of just get ahead of myself when I see Diamond League events and automatically expect people to be racing who can or jumping who can get the world records. So in the women's shot put, Raven Saunders is possibly one of my favourite field eventers. Probably is my favourite field eventer actually, or at least in the throws. I think her celebration uh, at Tokyo when she got bronze, I think it was, or silver. And she's just a great character. So she's in the shot put. Actually, you've got Fanny Roos, who is comedically known for being an hilarious name. But other than that, I'm, I'm not too familiar with the shot putters, I'm afraid. But I mean... I know this sounds bad, but I feel like field events or especially throws always get sort of like a sort of get pushback in the Diamond Leagues and the World Tours. I guess that's because they're sort of going for a lot longer, but it just never seems like you never know who they are, which is terrible for me to say because I know if anyone from like a field background is listening, I probably sound like an idiot there, but it's just my personal viewpoint on it. The Women's 400, you've got Olympic champion Shawnee Miller-Webo, you've got Stephanie McPherson, and you've got Kendall Ellis. Very, very, very strong lineup. The world lead is 49.87. That's probably going to go. It depends what kind of form they're in. But, you know, you've got some sub-50 runners racing each other there. So they're going to be pushing each other. And then Miller if she's in form, you know, she can run 47. Maybe even 46. I know she hasn't ran that yet. But, or has she ran 46.9? I don't know. But she can run fast. And, yeah, I mean, we'll see what she runs. And I know it's opening race of the season so you're not expecting anything blisteringly quick but I mean that's a great lineup again in the women's 400 like just having Olympic champions in the first diamond league of the season is phenomenal and while we're talking about Olympic champions you have got Tambiri and Barshim in the high jump it's obviously the famous probably the most famous moment from the Olympics this year when they shared the gold medal that yet they're both in it and also USA's athlete Javon Harrison, the long jump, high jumper, is in it. And Brandon Stark. I just love Brandon Stark because if anyone's watched Game of, Phone, Game of Thrones, his name's Brandon Stark. So that's pretty cool. And other than that, I don't really know anyone else in that in that high jump. But again, Olympic champions in the first Diamond League of the season is pretty insane. In the women's 3,000. Wow. Winnie Nanyondo, Worku... 
I can I can never pronounce this Italian's name, but she's exceptionally good, really good young athlete. Um, Better Coletti. Uh, you got Beatrice Kip, Beatrice Chepkowicz, who's obviously the steeplechase world record holder. Faith Kip Yegon is up in the distance to compete over a traditional fifteen hundred. Neon Saba is racing. She had an amazing year last year after the Olympics, so she'll be probably favourite. I don't know. I kind of want to see what Faith Kipyegon can run. Again, I'm automatically going, what's the world record? What's the world record? I mean, the meeting record is 820. That can probably get beat. But I think the world record is like 808 or 807. Or that might be a bit quick. I don't know. But, you know, you can, you're can you looking at some runners who can run low 820s, even for the first race of the season. You've got Yasmin Khan and you've got Jessica Hull, Beatrice Chebet. It's just a really, really good lineup again. I didn't realise Doha was going to be this strong for the first time in the league of the season. Especially in Doha, like making the journey across to Asia like that at this point in the season is quite a trek. So I'm actually really surprised with the fields. And I'm I'm going through this like I haven't looked at it. I'm just going through it like I haven't prepared. I'm just reading each one. So in the men's 400 hurdles, you've got McMaster who... Did well at the Olympics? Or oh, I'm, I'm completely making that up. You've got Capello, the Turkish athlete. You've got Alison Dos Santos, who came third at the Olympics. And I think he also ran what would have been a previous world record if Carson didn't break it earlier on in the season. Um, and you've got Ryan Benjamin, who, if he carries on improving, will be un- untouchable. And I know Carson's beat him twice at the Olympics and the world champs, but Benjamin's younger and his, his form's just so smooth and so easy. And, you know, you you got to put him favourite to race. And I know Carson says that he's not ready to race yet and he doesn't want to race Benjamin, which is fair enough. So, yeah, Benjamin and De Santos, Olympic medalists. The 400 hurdles is always one where you're like, is the competition that strong? But with them two in it, I mean, they could... If Benjamin's not on form, Dos Santos, Dos Santos did run a very, very, very fast time last year. So, you know, it's not going to be an easy race for Benjamin. These fields, again, just blow my mind. The men's javelin throw, I was just looking if it's got veteran, because he's my favourite javelin thrower, but it's got Thomas Roller in, who's the other German, and Julian Weber, the other German. German are just the phenomenal at javelin. It's crazy. Like Germans are just so good at javelin. Onto the men's 800, and the men's 800 was sort of, I'm going to say poor and underwhelming last year, because you're, you had these amazing athletes, and they never ran consistently. Whereas... This race is a bit more exciting than most races last year because it does feature Donovan Brazier, who I think after twenty after the 2019 season and after seeing what he ran for 1500, people were starting to say, like, can he get towards the world record late on in his career? And then he got injured, which is a shame because he barely raced. But you've got Brazier, Peter Ball, who ran amazing last year, apart from in the Olympic final, which was a shame. Marco Arop, who was one of the fastest last year. Rotich. Fergus Rotich, who was one of the fastest last year. Daniel Rowden, who is a really, really good British talent. Or British. I don't like saying talent because I feel like it's not giving them credit. But he's a very, very good runner. So that's a very strong field. You're talking quite a few Olympic finalists and quite a few very, very fast runners in there. Which is always nice to see. Women's 100 metre hurdles. Kendra Harrison is the standout for me. You've got... Samba Malaya from France, who is a young athlete who's really, really good. You've got Gabrielle Cunningham. It's just it's just a very, very solid 
solid field again. Like, is this just the Diamond League? Is this just what we're getting now? Like, because in the men's 200 metres, you've got Aaron Brown, Fred Curley, Noah Lyles, Andre DeGrasse. You know, Olympic medalists. Multiple of them. In fact, were they all the Lyles and DeGrasse medal in the 200? And then did Bednarek get the third medal in the 200? And Aaron Knight got fourth? I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure that's right. So you've got two of the Olympic medalists in the 200, and then you've got the 100 metre silver medalist as well. And onto the event that I'm always most excited for is the men's 1500. And if it's no Jakob, you want Stuart McSwain. And you've got Stuart McSwain. And you've got Timmy Chariot, And you've got Abel Kipsang, who ran. This is insane. So we all know altitude conversions are very iffy. Like, that's fair to say, like, they're not exactly accurate. Sorry if the microphone's just got a bit louder as well. I moved it a bit closer. Um... But you've got Abel Kipsang, who ran a 3.31 solo at altitude. And if you convert that using the NCAA altitude converter, it equals a 3.25. So that's the world record. Obviously, it's not right. But the fact that he ran 3.31 altitude solo, and he also got the Olympic record in the semifinals last year, and then Jakob broke it. But he came fourth at the Olympics, Abel Kipsang. He's going to be a threat. So Timothy Chariot, Stu McSwain, Abel Kipsang. Eric Sawinski is pacemaking again, and he's pacemaking the eight as well, but also Timothy Sign or Seen from Kenya, and if you don't know who he is, he's the one who pacemaked Chariot at Monaco when he set off in like a 52 first lap, so Chariot's probably going to go for a fast time here. You've also got Kajelchka, Kajelcha, Matt Ramsden, it's just a very, very supreme field and if you really if you're looking at it you only really need to add Josh Kerr and Jakob Ingebrigtsen and you've probably got pretty much the Olympic final obviously not Cole Hawker as well but you know a very very good field in the men's 15 as well which I think I've said for every single race like just a very very good field the women's 200 meters Gabrielle Thomas is racing from USA Dean Rasher Smith is racing obviously she was injured in the Olympics, so you never really got to saw her race at her full potential, but she did beat everyone in the women's 100 metres at Gateshead last year before she was injured, so you've got to think that she would have been challenging at the Olympics for medals, and if not gold in the 200, that's uh, probably a push to say how well Elaine Thompson ran. Shrika Jackson, who obviously medalled in the women's 100, and then eased up in the semi-final of the women's 200, and lost a place in the final because she eased up the last 10 metres. I don't know why people do that, sprinters. I'm sure she regrets it now, but it's like, you can jog through, but she literally came to a standstill. There's just no need. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Gabrielle Thomas and Asha Smith and Tarika Jackson are probably going to be the ones fighting for the win, and I'm pretty interested to see how that happens because if you get someone running sub-22 at this point of the year, you know, that's going to be a challenge and it's going to push Elaine Thompson and Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, who obviously we've already seen Shelly Ann Fraser-Price running ridiculously fast in the 100. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see. It's just going to be a really good meet. Like, from start to finish, it's going to be extremely exciting. And then you've got the men's 3,000 metre steeplechase. Again, I'm clicking on this without knowing who's racing. And you've got Hilary Bohr getting at Wale. So getting at Wale ran 8.24 indoors, 7.24 or 7.23. Maybe even 7.22 indoors for 3,000 metres last year. And then they started to stick with the steeplechase. 
as a priority at the Olympics. I'm sorry, but if you run one of the fastest ever indoors for 3,000 metres, why aren't you running the 5,000 at the Olympics as a priority? I'm pretty sure he still entered, but didn't get through the heats, which is insane. But And he's also awful at hurdling, so I don't understand why he's still doing steeplechase over just 5,000. Saying that, they're probably going to win this race now. But you've also got the Olympic champion, Elba Carley. You've got Abraham Kibiwat. You've got Keegan. You've got Leonard Bett. You've got... I'm not sure if I said Hilary Bohr. You've got Germa. Just an amazing field again. Like, again, pretty much the Olympic final. It's just that strong all the way through every event. And I think that's it. So, Doha Diamond League. Last year, I wasn't that excited. And I think Timothy Chariot won the 15. And that's the only event I can really remember. But this year, if if any of the other Diamond Leagues are like this, I'm going to be very excited because sometimes you get a Diamond League and you're a bit like, ah, it's not it's not the high quality field you wanted. Whereas this, I mean, this isn't going to disappoint. Maybe the- At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Putting some more money into it. I know Doha, the World Championships in Doha was pretty, pretty awful. Like, people forget that Doha World Championships in 2019 wasn't during COVID. The stadiums were just that empty. Like, it seems like we haven't had a non-COVID championships since 2017 in London. But Doha, there wasn't COVID. It was just bad crowds. Like, I, I can't believe that that was actually a thing. Like, I remember that championship as not having any fans because of COVID. But it wasn't. It was just because the crowds were awful. And I think they had to, like, literally shuttle people for free into the stadium. Which, I don't know if that says anything about athletics or if that says anything about the Doha marketing. Probably a bit of both. But hopefully this, you know, I mean, Mutsar Barshim is, Mutaz Barshim, sorry, is a very big star in Doha, I believe. So hopefully it'll draw a few a few thousand people in to watch, but it's a massive stadium. So, yeah, I mean, that'll be an interesting meet to watch, definitely. And that's sort of everything in the Doha. I would, Doha Diamond League, I would say my predictions very quickly, if I can remember them correctly, I think... Timothy Chariot's probably going to run sub 3.30 in the first race of the season with Abel Kipsang and Shua McSwain in the race. I mean, it's going to be fast. I can't see why you'd want to have two pacemakers and Timothy Sheen there if he's not going to try and run really fast. Last year, he had a back injury for the most of the season. And I know Jakob beat him at the Olympics, but he did have a back injury then. And Timothy Chariot obviously beat Jakob, a tired Jakob, at the end of the season, the 15. So... I don't know, I feel like Timothy Cheviot, without his back injury, might still be better than Jakob, or at least he was last year, I think, when he wasn't injured. So, people forget that Jakob might not even be the best 1500 meter runner. Again, he's aged another year and got better, so who knows. 
But you could be seeing two runners running 326, 327 this season. Maybe even three, four runners with Abel Kipsang and Josh Kerr, which is phenomenal. Like I don't think we've ever had that or that calibre. Like We've had Kiprop and Farah, who ran 26 and 28 in the same race, I think. And we've had, obviously, Lagat and El Garus, which was obviously the best, I guess, era of 1,500 metres in history. And was there were a few of us who were running sort of 27s then as well. I can't really remember because I wasn't very old. I might have even been alive when El Garouge ran the world record. But either way, that men's 15 is obviously my favourite event. That's purely because I'm a fan of the 15. And then the men's 800 looks really good. The women's 3,000 looks insane. So they're probably my top three favourite events to watch. The Doha, I'm going to go Neon Saba. Neon Saba for the win in the women's 3,000. I'm going to go Timothy Chariot for the win in the men's 15. And I'm going to go for Donovan Brazier win in the men's 800. I'll be very happy if that happens. But also you've got Marco Arop, Rotich. Daniel Rowden is really, really good on his day. So yeah, there's going to be some great races there. And if you want to watch, it is on YouTube, on the World of Flags YouTube and if your location is geo-blocked for that YouTube stream, there is a full list on the Diamond League website on where to watch. I'm afraid to say a lot of places have Flowtrack subscription, which is a shame. But I'm not even going to say there's probably streams you can watch it on. I'm not, I think it's illegal to say that. So I'm not going to say if there's streams you can find somewhere to watch it on because I don't condone doing that because whoever's streaming it is breaking the law and you shouldn't be watching or supporting someone who's breaking the law so yeah just go on the diamond league and look on where you can watch the diamond league because there's a full list of everything next i did say i wanted to do shoe stuff and i i wish i anyone who used to follow trackster from an early i guess an early age would know that we always posted about shoes and it's something I've posted less of because I feel like it just gets a bit mundane and a bit boring when you're just shoving shoes down people's throats. People think, well, it looks a bit markety or we're marketing the shoes. Same with doing shoe reviews on Trax's YouTube channel. But I love running shoes. I'm like addicted to running shoes. And I hope no one quotes that I just said I love running shoes because it's a bit of a, a strange statement. But just like the concept of the running shoes and get the innovation. And I just really like trying different pairs. So I just want to say... Asics or Asics are going to take over the game. I know they've already probably got the best all-around running shoe lineup. I know Nike people or Adidas fanboys are going to say, no, they've Adidas and Nike are better. If you're talking about all-around mileage, racing, training, it's got to be Asics. Asics. I never know which one. Because the mileage shoe, the Nova Blast, you've got the Gel Nimbus, you've got the Gel Cumulus, you've got the Dynablast, you've got the Noosa Tri, you've got so many mileage shoes. So at the top of the mileage shoe lineup, especially now with FF Blast Plus, which is the Nova Blast, I've said this before, but the Nova Blast 3, which is coming out soon, apparently is the best shoe at ASICs have ever made. And if it's better than the Nova Blast 2 and 1, which it sounds like it's going to be, then it's game over. Even for the, like... I'm the biggest fan of the Nike Invincible. I think the recovery of it is phenomenal. Everyone should get a pair for easy runs. The Nova Blast isn't far behind and it's faster. So if the Nova Blast improves again, game over. Secondly, MetaSpeed Edge Plus and MetaSpeed Sky Plus. The Sky, obviously, the first edition was arguably the best racing flat 
or racing shoe with the Vaporfly and the Adidas Pro 2. They're the sort of top three everyone always talks about. But this new one, they've improved it obviously. And the Edge, I really want to try the Edge because it's for Cadence Runners and I'm a Cadence Runner. So I don't know why the first edition never really hit the market like the Sky did. But hopefully both these shoes will hit the market well and I can try them both because... Again, they look like phenomenal shoes and really nice looking shoes as well. Like if Nike did that colorway, they'd get so many sales. And then you've got Track Spikes. They haven't released them yet and everyone raced them last year. They're not spikes. They're like a weird traction. So they are Track Spikes in a sense of the shoe, but they haven't actually got spikes on the bottom. So are they still Track Spikes? Because surely the reason we call Track Spikes Track Spikes is because of the spikes. But apparently they're really bad on hard tracks. Which kind of makes sense because there's no spikes, it's just pins. Like, it's a weird traction thing on the bottom. But again, those shoes, those spikes, apparently phenomenal. I mean, you've got Mocha Tier running 328 and 1249 or 1250 in them. And uh, 727 or whatever he ran for 3K as well. And say what you want about Mocha Tier and his performances and his improvement. But they're phenomenal times. And I don't want to say the spikes give too much advantage, but... I mean, they got him to do that, and even if they're just helping the runner run better, those spikes look insane and look really comfy. So, yeah, Asics, phenomenal, phenomenal lineup. And then, if we're talking about New Balance as well, you've got their Super Comp Pacer, which has just come out in the UK and Australia and a few other places. Apparently, it's a bit more like a spike flat. And again, I don't know why I say again all the time because I've not referenced this, it's just in my mind. I'm thinking like. Has anything over the 5k beat the Vaporfly yet and the, the Marathon Super Shoes? So the Adidas and Asics one as well. Like the Streakfly, the Takuma Sen 8, and now the Pacer. They're not as good as the Marathon Shoes, even for 5k. Maybe the Takuma Sen 8, depends on what kind of runner you are. The Streakfly, I wouldn't say, has enough pop in it to be like a super shoe even. It's like a super training shoe. But this Pacer, I've heard, it's a bit more firm a bit more fast, like a like a spike. So I imagine that won't be as good for the majority of runners for the 5,000. Maybe a road mile. Who knows? But when are we going to see an actual 5K, 10K racing flat? What is better than anything else at the 5K and 10K racing? I really want to see the Takumi Sen 9 whenever that comes out because the Sen 8 was great, but I think it needs carbon rods and not glass fiber rods. And if they go to a P-Bax foam, sorry if this is boring anyone, I think that would probably be the perfect shoe. But right now it's like a plastic glass fibre rod and it's not P-Bax. Even though Adios is, Adidas, Adidas's foam Lightstroke Pro is really good, just not quite ZoomX. But yeah, back to New Balance. They've got the Supercomp Pacer, which is out. They've got the Supercomp Trainer, which is coming out soon. I really want to try that because it's like Adidas Prime X, massive shoe. Kind of looks a bit more stable than the Adidas Prime X. That's why I want to try it. And obviously the fuel cell foam. Can't imagine it is as soft as before. Because I think they said they want to change it a bit. To make it a bit more performance heavy. and Like not performance heavy. Performance like biased towards performance more. And a bit more poppy. And I think this foam was too soft before. So if you get that with a carbon plate and a rocker. Which they've got like that energy rock. Or is it something. They've got like a technology in there. What they say is not happened before. That looks like a really good shoe because I'm a big, big supporter of training in shoes what reduce impact and also potentially are a bit heavier. So then it sort of outweighs the performance benefit of a higher stack because they're heavier. So it builds strength whilst keeping you protected and also keeps the effort the same as if you weren't wearing that kind of shoe. So it's kind of like a win-win-win. 
And then the racer, the Supercom SC racer or Supercom SC3 Elite, even though there's no SCs before, they're just changing it from the RC. Again, the racer, if the foam has changed to be a bit more aggressive, there's no reason that can't be one of the best super shoes, if not the best super shoe on the market, because the Fuel Cell RC2, Fuel Cell RC Elite 2, was also one of the best, but I just think it was lacking a bit of aggression. But in terms of comfort and saving the legs and corners and like agility, it's it was probably the best in terms of comfort and agility. Um, it was just the straight line push wasn't as much, but if they've got it right this time round, then you know you're looking at another very dangerous super shoe. I think that's all I want to talk about in shoes. There's obviously Sockany, Sockany, which are bringing out the Endorphin range, the new Endorphin range, the third rendition of that. They look promising because, I'm not being funny, but the first to second Endorphin range didn't change. Well, at least the Endorphin Speed and Pro didn't change at all, pretty much, which wasn't a bad thing because they were good shoes, but I think the Pro isn't quite super enough to match the next percent and stuff like that. But the Speed don't need to change that i guess they have changed it this time maybe it's better who knows it's pretty hard to get better than the speed though because it was a phenomenal shoe i really want to try the endorphin shift again because that's just a really good solid mileage shoe and then the pro i've never tried because you know well i haven't tried it for a long period of time because it's not faster so let's wait and see what happens it's, it's hard for brands to get foam like nike's i think that's the biggest problem or i always say like nike's i guess like asics as well and even Adidas, like it's hard for brands to get that sort of super foam. So we'll see. And obviously you've also got On and Puma sort of making big moves, both of them. So traditionally, I guess Puma have come forward in the last few years to get better shoes, but they seem to be getting better and better again. And On, the Monster, a lot of people seem to like that mileage shoe. I haven't tried it properly. I'm not, when I tried it on, I wasn't incredibly impressed. Like it was a great shoe. But it wasn't like on look like they could be amazing shoes, like just the technology on them. But the Monster's a good shoe, but it's not a phenomenal shoe. Um, so obviously I'd still wear it. So I'm kind of waiting for on to really, really get the ball rolling. And they've got the two super spikes, the middle distance one and the long distance one. They both look really good and the athletes have been running well in them. So hopefully we can see them get released soon and maybe see how they compare to the other spikes. And also you've got the super shoe, which Helena Beery's ran in. And quite a few people have run in it as well. So they're sort of the shoes I'm excited for. I'm probably missing quite a lot because there's so many shoe brands now. I actually wanted to speak about this shoe brand. And I can't remember the name. It begins with a V. They make shoes to match paces. So you'd buy a shoe for, let's say, four minutes, five minute miling. Or like seven to eight minute miling. But my concern with that is if... Let's just use me, for example. Say if I've ran a 14-minute 5K, and then if you've got someone who's ran a 20-minute 5K, say if we both run at 4 minute per kilometer, that's my easy run pace, and that's their 5K pace. Surely their form is going to be a lot different running at that pace than my form is. So how can the shoe adapt to a pace rather than a form and an effort? Like, surely it'd be better to adapt it to... I don't know. The concept's interesting, and I'd obviously have to try it. But do you know what I mean? Like, it's adapting to a pace which people feel a lot different at. Like, Joshua Chept's guy would feel like he's walking at three minute kilometers, whereas other people would feel like that's flat out. So, how do you get a shoe what sort of mixes both? I, I don't really get it. So, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But it seems like a good concept. I need to get them on the podcast actually and ask them 
like these kind of questions because it does seem like a really good idea if it works which is the thing i guess that any any idea is good if it works but you know it's something that's never been done before and the shoes look really nice but yeah if i'm running at seven minute mile and i'm jogging and then someone's can run a seven minute mile flat out surely the shoe is going to be need to be completely different for each other but yeah that's let us know what you think on that because i'm quite interested but also it's kind of like where does the line get drawn for how specific the shoe needs to be for someone and now i'm going to go to the freestyling part of it and i just want to briefly touch on because i've just reminded myself a fanny skioko who is an ncaa athlete i think he medaled in the 5000 meter outdoors last year and then sort of is always near the top at other races he did in the space of two hours and 45 minutes he did a free a free 44 1500 meters then a 149 800 meters and then a 14 minute 5k and he said the 14 minute 5k was really easy so just think about that three races in two hours 45 and he ran 344 for the 15 149 for the 8 and 14 minutes for the 5k insane like it just he's so good and you think he's around a 47 or a 48 i think he's around a 48 400 at the end of his training session once as well so he's told me he wants to become the first person to run sub 60 for the half and sub 48 or sub 47 for the 400 which is quite a strange goal but i can't imagine anyone's ever done that before maybe jacob kipolimo could get close obviously he's around 57 minutes for the half but I don't know if he could run a that fast 400, but I know he's fast. That's just insane. What other things have we got to talk about since the last podcast, which was a long time ago, so we probably got a lot. Mo Farah lost to a club runner, as people like to say. I guess anyone's a club runner, though. If you're not an elite, you're a club runner. So I don't see why people are trying to weaponize the term club runner to mean someone who's not very good. When Ellis Cross, you know, he's beaten a lot of really good runners in the past. And yeah. He beat Farah running 28.40 and outkicked Farah, which no one's ever used to seeing Farah get outkicked. But I speak to Farah quite a lot and he said he just didn't have a change of pace yet. He just doesn't have one at all. He's got older, so it's natural that his speeds are going to go a bit. And if you're not getting ready to sharpen that change of pace, you probably have to do a lot more to get ready to kick like that. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be building again and building. And we'll see what he does in like maybe a month's time or two months time. But Ellis Cross, all credit to him, running 28.40. I think that's a massive PB on the road. And he's got him to... He's now got an agent and he's now racing at the A race in the Night of 10K PBs this weekend. So it's a great move for him. And it's a, you know, it's probably like a career-changing win. And it's crazy because he's a club runner, remember? So, yeah, but that talk, like he beat every other elite in that race as well. Like there was multiple elites and Olympians in that race. Like Farrow and Chris Thompson, both being the Olympics, both got beat. Phil Sessman, Adidas athlete, got beat. So it's not like Ellis Cross beat Farrow and that's it. Like he beat everyone. So just bear that in mind when you're slating Farrow. And yes, Farrow's obviously not in Olympic form or medal winning form. And I guess that's even harder now with Chep's guy, Chip Lima, Kip Lima and stuff like that. But Farrow's ran 28.40 in a race he looked comfortable until the kick. And we're calling him like completely finished. It doesn't quite add up to me, especially when you've got people who are older still performing at the very best. So, yeah, I mean, the Farah slander's ongoing and it has been throughout his whole career, which I completely disagree with. 
and it's always going to happen, especially when he's, you know, probably one of the most famous runners of all time. But I think he'll be back, and even if it's running, winning domestic races in the 10K and 5K and half marathon, he'll definitely be back racing, because I think he likes racing. And everyone says, oh, he does it for the money. Wouldn't you? So even if he does do it for money, so what? <laughs> like, runners don't get paid that great. And I know Far is an exception, like he is, I guess, rich in terms of a runner. And if he's doing it for the money, fine. But also, I, I don't think he'd just stop. Like, if you think he'd probably make more money not focusing on running and actually just focusing on brand deals, because he gets a lot of brand deals. He's on I'm a Celebrity. So I don't think he's doing it purely for the money. I don't think that's fair. And even if he was, that's not a problem anyway. Because why not? That's the whole reason why people have jobs, is for money. So And also, he's, re- he's going to have to retire at some point. It's not like something you can carry on doing. So what's wrong with him doing it for the money? I don't get why people seem to slander him for that. And the final thing I wanted to talk on, again, freestyling, is sort of content in the running world. And it's easy to say from a content creator, a very bad content creator, if you've got to this part of the podcast, then you obviously know that. But, I mean, it's just casual talk. But you need content creators in running to be a lot more prevalent. And you need brands paying for content creators. And you need governing bodies paying for content creators, even some meets paying for content creators. Because as we've seen, I use examples. I've got a YouTube video coming out on this, hopefully quite soon. Tim and Elite, New Generation Track and Field are two what spring to mind. And now on Athletics Club with the Coffee Club podcast. Or is it Coffee Club or is it just Coffee? Yeah, Coffee Club podcast. Tim Man don't have the best runners and I know Sam Parsons and Drew Hunter and Jordan Guzman and a few others are really good runners like high caliber but they don't have the runners that Bauman Track Club have but I would say they probably outsell Bauman Track Club and have more fans than Bauman Track Club same with Oregon Track Club Oregon Track Club have Olympic finalists okay Tim Mann don't have Olympic finalists I don't think and they will outsell Oregon Track Club as well and bear in mind, they're Nike clubs. Tim Man is so much more popular, and it's because they're making content and actually have fans, like personal fans. And we got a bit of stick for a 59-second Jakob Britson interview we did uh, at the Sam Marine meet after he'd been interviewed for ages by other people for asking him what his favourite tattoo was because he's got loads of tattoos, what he's never really explained. People saying, you need to ask. Fair enough. If you don't like the question, fine. But people were saying you need to ask relevant questions. So I asked, what What do you mean by relevant questions? And they're like, ask him about the race, ask him about training. And I was like, if we're always asking runners about running questions, and that's all they are. Like, how many times in a press conference do people get asked not things about running? Or you, ne- you never have it in running. But in every other sport, so many other questions. There's a whole there's Instagram accounts of millions of followers just de- dedicated to sportsmen outside of the sport. So why aren't we asking these things? And just the content around it and personality, it's just not there. And it needs to be because I think Clayton Murphy said it on our post. He just said, since he's done that, it's the best decision he's ever made. Paid for a content creator who's one helping the content creator create more content because then he can get paid and then also work more time on the content, not just filming Clayton Murphy, but also other things. And he's got more fans now. And it just helps massively. Like, you look at Cole Harkin and Cooper Tier. I actually don't think their contracts they've signed would have been as big if they didn't have New Generation Track and Field or Ben Crawford at the time 
filming them. Like the athlete special got a Brooks Beast contract from YouTube, and he's obviously a decent runner, but like probably not good enough to get a Brooks Beast contract at that point in time, especially leaving the NCAA. Like maybe if he was from a different country, you'd be able to get a contract, but in America it's harder. And the athlete special, I hope he's going to run very fast soon um, and get another contract. But he got that from content. So the content just needs to be more and more prevalent in the sport. Like we saw it with F1, Drive to Survive, increased the popularity. I think it doubled the viewership of F1, especially in America. And now you've got the Miami Grand Prix, which just happened. If anyone watches Formula One, it was amazing. The atmosphere, the celebrities there, it was iconic. You wouldn't get celebrities there three, four years ago. And same with basketball. Like Their content on the YouTube side of things is phenomenal because their rights to the videos is completely different you can make highlights you can make reaction videos without facing any implications and it's just the fan base has just increased drastically and we just don't have any of that it seems like we have a retention strategy where we just try to keep fans or keep traditional fans somewhat happy rather than trying to grow in any way shape or form which i know sebco is trying to try out different things like making meets more exciting by adding the final throw or final jump, which is the jump off, sorry, which is awful. Uh, but at least you tried it. But you just need to try things with actual content and the structure of the meets as well, like the pretty bad. But, I mean, it just needs to, so many things that need to happen. And it's all right me sitting here saying it while I'm doing a podcast and rather than doing things about it. But, you know, I think everyone needs to work together and do things and make a difference. And also we need unions, <laughs> like... I don't really know too much about it, but I was listening to Justin Gatlin talk about it, and it doesn't make sense. We need people to band together, like pros, and make a stand, because it's just horrendous. And we shouldn't have NDAs for contracts. We should be able to see how much money people are signing for, because then other people know the value. Like in football, basketball, you know their contracts. In running, it's there's, you have you have to sign a non-disclosed agreement to not say how much you're making. And that's very dangerous for people, and people getting contracts. So... I'm going to leave the podcast here because I feel like I'm just ranting. So thank you for listening. Please give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you are still listening, DM me saying, I'm looking at a water bottle. So just DM me saying water bottle on my personal Instagram account. So let me know you're still watching. And goodbye.